Welcome to Talk Angry with Coon and Eldridge. On today's show, we'll be joined by the head coach of the Wichita State Shockers, Isaac Brown. We'll get his thoughts on the 2020-21 season and look ahead to next year. A lot of exciting times, new roster, great show, coming up right after this. Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Wichita State Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Taylor, it's good to be back in the seat with you here again. This is the first show since the season-ending loss to Drake in the first four. Drake 53, Wichita State 52. Uh, you know, Certainly a, a disappointing end to the season. You saw a team in UCLA go from the first four to the final four. And, uh, you know, during this time, it's just whoever is, is hot. Certainly Wichita State in their last several games kind of struggled on the offensive end. That was the case with Drake. But also an exciting game to watch as well. Yeah, I mean, that was a game that WSU certainly feels like it should have won. Uh, you know, you're up 12 with 11 minutes left. Uh, that's a game you have to close out, you know, especially in the NCAA tournament. So a uh, pretty disappointing end. Uh, but, you know, I've seen a little bit too much overreaction, I think, from uh, fans for just the last two games. I know the expectations were high based off, you know, the championship uh, in the regular season. But, you know, um, you know, this was uh, just such a incredible run by, you know, this team where, you know, you think back to when Greg Marshall resigned, uh, you know, a lot of people we're just hoping that, you know, WSU didn't go out there and just embarrass themselves. You know, that was kind of the bar, you know, coming into the season. And then you throw in the COVID-19 issues to start the season. It wipes out the first three games. You know, they get off to a one and two start. You know, I was, I mean, uh, just the, the temperature around that time was kind of like, uh-oh, like this this could be a really rough season. But uh, for this team to, to rally the way it did to get those, uh, you know, road wins early in the season, uh, and just, you know, keep, uh, remain consistent, you know, throughout the whole conference season, you know, uh, uh, never had a game uh, canceled for COVID-19 for, for their own issues. And, uh, you know, they, they just played who was in front of them. And I think uh, people need to, to keep that in mind when they look back on this season. Yes, it was a disappointing finish, but you have to think back to, you know, just how incredible it was that they were even in that position. And, I know a lot of people, um, you know, maybe that it doesn't work in their brain that way. But, uh, you know, when you when you sit back and, and think uh, just what the expectations were coming in and, and how the season finished. Uh, yeah, just a resounding success for WSU, obviously not the way they wanted to finish. But, you know, uh, first American Athletic Conference championship, uh, you know, another semi uh, semifinal Appearance in the conference tournament, uh, NCAA tournament, uh, you know, return. So they got they they did a lot of things they wanted to do this season. Obviously, they wanted to go further, but uh, you know, just the offense, man, it was just uh, it was a struggle those last two games. Yeah, and so many stats from the Drake game make you think what could have been. They shoot 11 of 22 from the free throw line, so miss 11 free throws, shoot 50%, only 3 of 18 from 3. Tyson Etienne with one point, the bench with one point. So just <laughs> uh, it shows how razor you know thin it is as far as a margin between winning and losing. Just you know one of those items going the other way and, and could have been a different story. Now, granted, they would have run into a US, USC team that looked pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah, USC was... 
that would have been a challenge. But hey, you know, uh, you advance in the tournament, you never know what could happen. But yeah, I mean, just looking back, it kind of reminded me a little of the the only other NCAA game I've covered uh, with WSU, the Marshall game, where you know Connor Frankamp just goes crazy his last game, and no one else really plays well. And kind of remind me a little bit of that with uh, Mo Udeze. You know, Mo has probably the best game of his career. Uh, you know, 22 points, career high. Uh, he was, you know, pretty much unstoppable on the low block, which was, I mean, I did not see that coming uh, coming into the game because, you know, Drake had a big, you know, 6'10", 275 dude down there, and Mo was just having his way with him. And, uh, you know, 8 for 13 from the field, uh, they they basically could not guard him without fouling. And uh, But, yeah, you mentioned the, the free throw shooting, you know. Uh, 11 for 22 from the line, you know, the two best shooters on the team, you know, um, Tyson Etienne goes one for two and then Mo, who had been really, really good all season goes six for 11, kind of reverts back to his old ways. So, um, yeah, just, uh, just a razor, razor thin margin of error. Then you just think back of, you know, Tyson Etienne, like, should they have got him more involved in the offense? You know, only six shots zero for six. Obviously, you have to credit, you know, Drake. They did a, a you know, outstanding job uh, on ball defense, off ball defense with him. Um, you know, they they did a really, um, really good job. I remember I haven't watched that game in a couple weeks now, but I just remember thinking, like, man, they're really, really locking up Tyson and making life difficult for him. But you know, I thought Dexter Dennis played pretty well. Um, Mo played obviously uh, his best game of his life on offense. Trey Wade was. You know, solid, uh, got a lot of offensive rebounds. But, yeah, just Tyson, one point from the, you know, the co-AAC player of the year. Tough to win ball games with that. And then you look at the three-point shooting, too. Three for 18, uh, just not going to get the job done. You know, they, they had a lot of open looks. Um, this did not go in. And that was the story of the ball game. You know, 11, you, you miss 11 free throws, and then you can't make wide-open threes. You know, that's... That's going to do it for you. And, uh, you know, I thought WSU played really, really good defense. And, you know, they played uh, good enough defense to get the job done. Uh, credit Lou Godino. I thought he had an excellent scout on that game. Uh, Yusefu kind of got going there uh, late in the second half when they were on that comeback. But, you know, WSU did a really good job. No one else had more than 11 points on Drake. You know, they, they held him to under 40% shooting. Uh, 0.85 points per possession. So, I mean, that's that's about as good as you could ask for in the NCAA tournament. Uh, just a tough, tough uh, way to lose. I was looking at that shot quality website I've kind of referenced a few times. Uh, kind of curious on, you know, just the, the quality of shots were taken. Uh, what would that kind of say? And it was, it was a coin flip. You know, it was a 50-50. Each team had a 50% chance uh, based on its shot quality. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, too. Um, so that was, that was kind of a, you know, true to form game where it came down to the last shot and second straight game, you know, all three Gilbert, uh, you know, pulls up from a, a few feet behind the three point line and, and lets it fly and second straight a week that it, uh, did not go in. So heartbreaking in for him, um, heartbreaking in for the team too. They did make the one shining moment video, but unfortunately it was with that Drake player dunking no, on Monzi Jackson. <laughs> so that, that was not a good that was one. Tough. There. That was tough. 
when you look big picture on the entire season, what are the you know the storylines that you'll remember the most? I know obviously the the number one would be Coach Isaac Brown and and winning the first AAC uh, regular season title. But I just think of you know the advance in play of Mo Udeze, how good of a year Tyson had. Um, you know, I, Monzi Jackson already is looking like he'll be a bright spot, and and all these guys have additional uh, you know that additional year of eligibility due to this year. So just kind of what when you look back on the year as a whole, what will you remember? Yeah, definitely. Just how uh, IB kind of uh, kept this group together. I don't think that can be emphasized enough because uh, I think uh, in a lot of other situations, you know, this could have gone south really, really, really fast. You know, you lose, uh, you know, Hall of Fame coach like Greg Marshall right before the season. You know, there's no guarantee these guys are going to stick around. I think in some other situations, you know, guys could have opted out. Guys could have just decided to transfer right there. You know, this could have been kind of a skeleton cast uh, team this season. You know, if things uh, uh, went south and they didn't have a leader like IB. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for keeping this group together for this season. I've seen some people say like, oh, I thought he was supposed to, you know, keep this this group together when, you know, obviously the the five, uh, four or five transfers happened after the season. But I think that was missing the point. The, the point was to keep them together for this last season. And moving forward, I think the only thing you can ask for from coaches really is just trying to keep as many core guys on the team as possible. I mean, it's re- going to be really, really tough to maintain and keep bench bench players. Um, you know, guys are just going to want to play minutes. And with the way college basketball is set up now, with the, the first-time transfer rule expected to happen this spring, you know, guys are going to be moving teams uh, quite often. I mean, we've seen it. We've talked about it a ton. The transfer portal, you know, over 25% of all college basketball players are in the portal right now. So, I mean, that's just the new way of life. So, I think IB did a great job keeping the core together. You know, you look at what they have coming back. Tyson Etienne, Mo Udeze, Dexter Dennis, Ricky Council, uh, Monzi. Um, you know, Craig Porter. Uh, so th- those were, you know, six of the best players they could have got to come back. So uh, I think uh, IB did a, a good job of that. So that was the first thing. And then obviously just the, the development of Tyson Etienne. You know, he went from a pretty good player to a great one, to, you know, one of the best players in the conference. You know, obviously getting the co-MVP of the league. You know, he took a huge jump. Um, you know, he was pretty much just a catch-and-shoot shooter his first season. I mean, he just spot up in the corner on the wing, hope somebody, you know, hope Grant Sherfield or Jamarius Burton would, would find him on the, you know, on kickouts, and that's pretty much all he could do. And now you look at this season, man, he just, he took his game. He leveled up, you know, not just one level. He probably leveled up two or three uh, because he not only, I mean, he's taken so many more off-the-dribble Really, really tough three-pointers. He actually shot a better three-point percentage this season, uh, 39.2%. And then, uh, you know, he's only taken two two-pointers a game last season. He's taken five two-pointers this season. I mean, that's that's a direct correlation to, you know, more aggressive attacks to the rim, more pull-up jumpers, you know, just taking what the defense gives him. And then also he doubled up his free throws attempted per game, you know, two and a half last year five free throws a game that tells me you know for a 6-2 guard to be shooting five free throws a game that that tells me they are being aggressive they are getting to the rim they are drawing fouls so that's that was a big big point uh for Tyson to level up his game and uh you know also a little bit more of a playmaking we saw you know I think that that could be interesting 
going forward, you know, putting him at point guard, uh, letting him run the pick and roll. And, you know, obviously he's going to draw a ton of defensive attention. So, I mean, shooters are going to be wide open uh, on the perimeter, and he's good enough to find them. I think he's a really good pick and roll uh, reader. And I don't know if it's the best use of his talent because obviously he's such a good shooter. You know, maybe you want him uh, coming off screens, uh, uh, you know, with the ball in his hand looking to score. But, man, he's, he's a very capable passer too. So that was probably the biggest development that took WSU from a good team to, you know, a conference championship team. And then obviously the final one, yeah, Mo Udeze. Uh, you know, a lot of people wanted to give up on Mo. I mean, I remember last year, uh, you know, when he was in the portal, a lot of people were like, okay, good riddance. Like, we don't we don't need him. Uh, you know, they were frustrated by his free throw shooting, free, uh, frustrated uh, by just the way he played. You know, turnovers were, were kind of an issue. Uh, and and now look at him. You know, he's he goes from four points and, and three rebounds to ten points and five rebounds. You know, he, he became a all-conference caliber center by the end of the season. I think he's going to get some... Uh, uh, some recognition going into next season just because of how strong of a uh, year he had to close out and uh, who saw that coming a year ago. It just goes to show, you know, some of these guys, all they need is an opportunity to go out there and play consistent minutes. You know, the first two years, Mo was only playing, you know, 10, 12 minutes. Uh, you know, foul trouble was always an issue with him. And, and this season he was finally given kind of, you know, uh, you know, you know, they kind of let him off the leash, let him play a little bit more, get a consistent rhythm, you know, play 24 minutes a game. And, uh, you know, look what happened, you know, uh, very consistent offensive season, uh, was one of the best, you know, highest uh, shooting seasons in WSU history at 60.3%, uh, very efficient player down low, obviously improved his free throws, uh, you know, he was shooting, you know, uh, high 70s, uh, kind of tailed off at the end of the season and finished at 68%, but, you know, he was uh, right at 80% at one point in the season, so took a huge improvement there. So I think those are the two guys that really, um, you know, increased the ceiling of WSU and for both of them to be coming back and still have multiple years left. I think that's very encouraging for, for WSU going forward. The only constant in college basketball these days uh, does seem like it's change. And, and as you've mentioned, 25% of college basketball in the transfer portal. Wichita State has five scholarship players that are leaving the program. You have Poor Bear Chandler, Bilal, both Wade Brothers, and Jaden Seymour. Now, just like in years past, even though there's been a big deal made of this, I think you can understand if you look at each situation you know, on an individual basis why these players might be leaving for uh, a new opportunity or another chance for for whatever reason that might be to them. But were you surprised by any of them? Do you think there's a chance that you could enter the portal and come back like Udeze? Or, uh, you know, is this more just the business of college basketball? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, yeah, I mean, we saw that happen with Craig Porter. You know, he, he put his name in the, the portal and uh, came back a few days later. So, I mean, it is possible. I don't think that is going to happen with anybody that's in the portal right now. I think they're gone and uh, they're, uh, you know, just looking for their next opportunity. I think the one that surprised me and surprised the team too, or the coaching staff, was uh, Trey Wade. Um, I mean, I think they they figured they knew he was going to move on, uh, but they figured it'd be you know playing professionally. They they did not see him uh, sticking around in college. Um, they were a little surprised by that. So um, that one's a little bit of a surprise. But you know, you look at Trey. I mean, he 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 did well to fit into his role at Wichita State. Uh, you know, it's kind of the you know do the little things. You know, he's the power forward who 
uh, you know, would, would uh, you know, box out and get rebounds, play good defense. You know, he was one of the most solid defenders on the team. Uh, just did a lot of just little stuff that, you know, d- doesn't show up on box scores. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, you look at his stat line and it would seem he was kind of invisible. And, uh, you know, he didn't score a lot. You know, his scoring went down this season, only six points per game, uh, five rebounds, uh, you know, only shot. Uh, let's look at 30, 33% from three. Uh, you know, he always felt like he was a better three-point shooter than that. The coaches felt like he was a better three-point shooter. So, uh, yeah, I think that was a case where he's just looking to uh, a new environment. You know, uh, he's, he's had a good two-year run. You know, he did everything that was asked from him uh, from WSU. He helped him, you know, helped him win a conference championship this year. And I think uh, now he's just looking for a new opportunity, a new environment, um, hopefully, you know, just going to a new place, get a fresh start, and, and maybe that will get his offense uh, clicking a little bit more. And, um, you know, there there are some high majors that are, are very interested in him, uh, a lot of ACC, SEC uh, teams like that. You know, back home, uh, he's from Atlanta, so I would expect, you know, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, I've heard South Carolina is in the mix. So um, he's getting some uh, pretty interesting looks. I, I'm going to be curious to see where he goes because uh, I think if he goes to a high major team, he can be a really good uh, role player for a you know a winning team that does the little things, kind of like what he did at Wichita State. And if he goes lower, I think he can you know expand his offensive game a little bit more. Uh, you know, it it is. I mean, he, it, the offense never really clicked at WSU. But yeah, then again, you know, he's only taking five six shots a game, so it's kind of hard to you know get your rhythm going when you're only taking five or six. You know, if he's taking closer to ten. Uh, he, he was more of a scorer, you know, at the junior college level. And, uh, you know, he showed some uh, some good potential as freshman year at UTEP, too. So I think he can be more of a scorer uh, in the right situation. It's just going to be interesting to see where he ends up going. So uh, that one was really the only surprise. Everybody else was, you know, kind of a bench player. And that's that's been the biggest uh, difference from, you know, the last year uh, transfers. I've seen a lot of people say, like, oh, I thought IB was supposed to, you know, keep these guys around. Here we are again. You know, we got five guys in the portal. Uh, this is happening all over again. Like, why did we get rid of Marshall? Well, well, I mean, first off, you know, it's a completely different situation where, uh, you know, you look at who WSU lost the last time around. You know, you lost three underclassmen that were playing major, major minutes and were foundational pieces, you know, going forward. Uh, compared to this year, you know, four of these guys are bench players that weren't really in the rotation. And then you got Trey Wade, who was a senior who they were expecting to be without uh, next season anyway. So um, it wasn't much of a, you know, it's not a building block piece uh, going forward like, you know, Sherfield and Burton and uh, Stevenson were for, for WSU two years ago. So um, it's a little bit different. You just have to, like you said, I mean, you have to take it case by case. Not all transfers are, you know, the same. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's just the new normal. I think we're going to see three, four, five guys in the portal just about every year. With no disrespect to Craig Porter Jr., I think kind of the five core guys that, at least from my point of view, fans are most excited about would be Tyson, Dexter, Moe, Monzi, and Ricky Council. And granted, we don't have a full roster right now, but it's kind of hard to make all five of those fit if, if you were going to put them into a starting lineup. So next year, could you see Tyson playing more of the point guard position? Could you see maybe Dexter sliding down into a two guard to to go uh, with kind of a little more athletic lineup there? Or kind of what are your thoughts and, and 
certainly, once again, there's going to be a lot of changes and I believe five scholarships still left to give. But uh, kind of if you took those five, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, obviously the best uh, lineup WSU has coming back. I will say with Craig Porter, I mean, he was, um, you know, he, he missed like two months combined uh, with COVID stuff at the start of the season. So he was never really right. And then when he came back, uh, he got hurt, you know, is a uh, tweaked his knee a little bit. So I don't think WSU fans have seen anything close to hundred percent Craig Porter. And I mean, this guy was a defensive nightmare for teams, you know, at the junior college level, he won a national championship, you know, his freshman level or his freshman year at Vicenz. So this guy is a high, high level player. He can definitely, I think he is more than capable of stepping into that role as a starting point guard. Uh, for the Shockers this season. But, yeah, I mean, it's just going to be getting him back to 100% and uh, restoring that confidence. I think, uh, you know, when your body doesn't do things that it's used to doing, I kind of uh, talked to Dexter Dennis about that, um, about his mental health issues, and that was kind of what it stemmed from. You know, when he got hurt, um, you know, he wasn't able to do the stuff he was used to doing, and it kind of led to, you know, a drop in confidence and and just him just, you know, kind of being depressed and, and not really enjoying basketball anymore. So uh, with Craig, I think that was maybe a little of the same stuff where he got hurt and he just wasn't used to, you know, not being able to do that stuff on the court. And it kind of affected his confidence, uh, you know, on offense at least, uh, uh, you know, some of the things that he's used to doing. So I think once they get him healthy, I think he's more than capable of running the show at point guard. But to your point, I think, um, like I said, I mean, Tyson Etienne is a very good passer. I think he is more than capable of running the offense, uh, you know, running the, the high pick and roll and running the motion offense, uh, whatever WSU chooses to do. And, um, yeah, I think you could see lineups with him on the floor. I, I still think that IB is going to – he likes, uh, you know, sharing – having two point guards on the floor. So I, I would bet that Craig is out there a lot. This season, and then, uh, yeah, then it kind of gives you some interesting possibilities of what to do uh, with the rest of your lineup. You know, if you have Craig and Tyson at the one and two, uh, then you can go, you know, Dexter and Ricky, or you can go Dexter and Dexter and Monzi, uh, you know, or Ricky and Monzi. So um, it's going to be really interesting uh, to see what WSU does. Uh, you know, obviously Mo is penciled in as the starter at center, but. You know, Matt McFarland, I mean, this guy is a uh, high, high ceiling. I don't know if he's going to come in right away and push Mo um, for starter minutes, but, man, he, he's got some interesting upside, I will say that. He kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Daryl Willis on offense. with the mid. He's got the, a mid-range jumper that's pretty deadly, just like Daryl did. Uh, he doesn't have the three-point range yet. Uh, they think he – they are optimistic he can develop that. And then, you know, being 6'10", lanky, long, athletic, uh, you know, he's going to be a, a automatic upgrade over what WSU had just because of his height, his jumping ability. You know, he's a great shot blocker, very instinctual, and uh, he's going to be a better defensive rebounder just because of that height too. So um, I think he's going to be an interesting option too for WSU. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very excited to see what Ricky Council does his uh, this next season. I think they're going to unleash him a little bit more in the offense uh, I mean, he, he made things happen for the Shockers last year. I mean, give him credit. I mean, whether it was, you know, something was going to happen, you know, not, not always positive. I mean, he had some forced shots and, um, you know, he didn't get some calls going to the, uh, going to the rim, uh, some silly turnovers, but, uh, he, when WSU's offense bogged down and it really struggled to, you know, get a shot off, 
Ricky Council is someone that can, he's going to make something happen going toward the rim. And more times than not, it was a, a very positive. So I think he can be more of an offensive, uh, you know, threat for WSU, more consistent offensive threat, I should say. Uh, you know, he could be, you know, a double digit scorer next year, I think, if they unleash him. And I think Monzi, I think he's he's got a lot of untapped potential too uh, on offense. So um, I think this is, uh, you know, they're setting up with the core that they have coming back, they can be a very, very good team again next season. And then, like you said, I mean, they still have five scholarships to give, uh, you know, five more swings at it. I would expect them to, to bring in a veteran point guard. I would expect them to probably bring in another veteran uh, big guy uh, that can play the four, uh, maybe uh, that, that can be part of the rotation. And then uh, that's probably, and then from there, it's probably just taking, you know, best, best players available. Uh, maybe a couple of high school guys that kind of develop like Chauncey Jenkins and Jaden Seymour did last year. And, and Jenkins is another one. I, man, coaches love this guy. I mean, he's, he's one to, you know, obviously he didn't get any time really this season with the Shockers, but he is, uh, he looks like John ja Morant and he plays like John ja Morant. I've seen this guy in practice a few times and he is a high, high level athlete. Uh, he's going to be very entertaining. I don't know if he's going to contribute uh, how much he'll contribute next year, how much if he'll be part of the rotation or not. But down the road, he's gonna he has the potential to be a very special player. He he can get buckets. So I think that's a name to watch too for WSU to see how he develops next season too. We saw Houston make the final four. Memphis won the NIT. Uh, you know, SMU certainly gonna have some good athletes. So what do you think reasonable expectations are heading into next season for Wichita State? I've seen some way too early college basketball predictions that kind of have them just outside that top 25 range. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, made, made the tournament this year. But what as we look forward, uh, you know, I, I think the AAC should be improved next season. So where, where do you see the Shockers falling in all that? Yeah, I think I think uh, the American bounces back next year and gets uh, you know three teams in the tournament. I think they were affected more than more more than most about not having a full non-conference. So I think uh, yeah, I mean I think uh, Houston's going to be right up there again. Memphis is going to be really really good again. Um, WSU, uh, like you said, I mean those are way too early. I mean that you cannot emphasize way too early enough this year because of the transfer portal. I mean there's just so much stuff that has yet to happen and uh, especially I was just going through kind of the rosters of the other American teams and man there are there are some really really good players that are leaving uh, teams in the American you know Jaden Gardner that's a first team all-conference guy at, at ECU and uh, you know we've seen uh, almost all Cincinnati's roster you know all their bench guys uh, young encouraging pieces they're in the portal uh, you know South Florida they lost basically everyone there too so um, it's just so much uh, up in the air right now, but I mean, I think, yeah, you guys slot WSU in top three right now, just because uh, they proved last year that they can get the job done. So I think, uh, that, that puts them over SMU. Uh, you know, obviously if Kendrick Davis comes back, uh, that's going to make, uh, the Mustangs a very, very good team, but you know, WSU has been there and done that. So I think, uh, they deserve to be in that tier with, uh, you know, I think Houston is going to be probably, uh, head and shoulders above everyone else. But, you know, Memphis, WSU, I think they, they both belong in the same tier as kind of the 2-3 the uh, going into next year. It's nice to see that the coaching staff will remain intact for next season. You had a nice article uh, today on Billy Kennedy. So just, you know, talk a little bit about uh, your discussion with him and then also, uh, you know, the continuity and seeing everyone come back next year. 
Yeah, that was the. Uh, I think anytime you can bring uh, the entire coaching staff back, it's uh, it's a huge plus because you know everyone knows how each other works. Uh, you know, with Billy Kennedy joining the the team right right before the start of the season, I think he just kind of came in and kind of uh, took more of a, a laid back uh, a role this season. I mean, he didn't. Uh, it wasn't too much hands on because you're just kind of letting. I mean, they had a uh, you know a good thing going here at Wichita State, and you know Lou Gadino and uh, Tyson Waterman, uh, you know big time assistant coaches. So uh, he kind of just kind of sat back and let them do their thing and helped out whenever whenever he was needed. And I think he was more of a mentor for IB this season. Um, I think that was probably his number one uh, contribution, you know, to the success. And I think. Uh, you know that veteran leadership that that does pay dividends. Uh, just having someone, uh, we talked to IB later uh, later on in his conversation. And he mentioned he's the only one that's uh, you know ever called a timeout on the bench, and you know having a head coaching experience at the Division One level is invaluable. And just for IB to bounce ideas off of him, uh, just to have conversations with him, I think uh, that really meant a lot to IB, and you know to come from someone who's been a mentor to to him for years and years and years. So. I think Billy Kennedy was a pretty valuable piece, um, you know, to that coaching staff. And uh, yeah, you just won a national award. The John Wooden Keys to Keys to Life uh, is kind of a, a character and inspirational award um, that was handed out this last Final Four weekend. And um, yeah, I mean, he's an inspiration, you know, for some people who might not know. He was uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's uh, early early stages of it uh, in 2011, right before he got uh, he was hired as a Texas A&M head coach. And before he even coached his first game, he, he got that diagnosis. And, uh, you know, some people would have, you know, uh, given up or, uh, you know, maybe stepped back. But, you know, Billy, uh, he just kept plugging along. And uh, with the help of his wife, Mary, who actually shared that award, it was the first time a couple had ever won that award. Um, uh, with the help of her, uh, kind of his rock and foundation, um, they, they got, you know, they, they lasted eight years at Texas A&M, took him to two sweet 16s. And, uh, yeah, just has been you know, you talk to anybody in the coaching industry, they just love Billy Kennedy. Uh, you know, he's just well-respected. He's just the nicest guy ever. And he's, you know, uh, with everything he's overcome, he's very inspirational. And, um, yeah, that's what, kind of what the story was about. Just, you know, IB said, you know, the players gravitate toward him. They see, you know, everything he's been through and the fact that he shows up every day to practice and is in great shape and, you know, always in a good uh, good uh, spirits. And uh, they, they can t- kind of take something away from that. So, um, yeah, I think WSU loves having him around, and uh, yeah, I mean it was a no-brainer for IB to ask him to come back, and and uh, yeah, for the uh, I mean it's always a question because you know these assistants uh, sometimes their their names uh, crop up for head coaching jobs, and you know Tyson Waterman was uh, finalist for the Winthrop job, his alma mater, and um, yeah, I mean he uh, ultimately didn't get it, but you know he's going to be in the mix, you know, in the coming years just because. He is a uh, one of the elite recruiters in college basketball right now. You know, you look what he's done the last three years at WSU. You know, he's the last three years: Dexter Dennis, Tyson Etienne, Ricky Council. You know, those are arguably three of the most exciting players on WSU's roster. So, uh, nice little uh, three for three there. Uh, and uh, you know, still uh, more to come. You know, he seems to always have an ace up his sleeve. Um, I'm told he's, you know, in on some pretty big guys uh, in this season uh, transfer-wise. So I think uh, you're going to see something special from him because he's he's been pretty much able to, you know, deliver at least one high-impact player just about every year. 
And, and let's kind of stay on that topic with recruiting. You know, what's the timeline that you see the roster getting filled out? You already talked a little bit about Matthew McFarland and, and being in on some guys. Now that the you know national championship's over, do we start to see some commitments this week? Is it more a month from now? What what uh, what kind of timeline before we have a full roster to take a look at? Yeah, signing day is uh, the 14th, so I think a lot of things uh, will be uh, you know finalized before then. I think. Uh, you know, right now I'm not hearing that they're close on anybody, but these things, you know, can change uh, day to day. And, you know, the closer it gets to that signing day, uh, you know, I think guys are going to make uh, decisions quicker and quicker. So I would expect that, you know, they have a couple more of the, the scholarships filled uh, by next week. And then uh, probably by the end of April, I would say they, they would have, um, you know, at least uh, 11 or 12 of the roster spots, you know, secured. Um now, you remember uh, uh, a couple years ago when they got Joseph Abelow, they took him in, uh, I think it was like June. Um, so sometimes, the, uh, you know, those 13 spots can stretch out uh, pretty far uh, into the summer. But I would expect that most of the roster is filled out by the end of April. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, recruiting will really start to heat up here in the, the next week. Um, like I said, they're not really... You know, they're not like nothing is imminent right now. You know, they're not going to get a commitment on, you know, a t- a Tuesday or, or Wednesday. But, um, you know, these things develop quickly. And I know they're in on a, a lot of good guys. You know, the Duke uh, transfer guard, uh, Goldwire's a name to watch. You know, they're in the recruiting battle with him. Um, a lot of some of the high school guys. But um, like I said, they're, they're going to be in the market for a point guard and uh, a four man. So I think uh, those are the kind of the next two. Uh, positions of need to watch uh, in the, in kind of the recruiting area. Let's talk to who's the closer uh, on these recruiting issues. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by the head coach of Wichita State, Isaac Brent. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. We're joined now by the head coach of the Wichita State Shockers, Coach Isaac Brown. Coach, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show. We certainly appreciate your time and know it's a busy time. The business of college basketball never stops. We had a, a fantastic national championship game last night, and uh, obviously you all are, are working on the roster and, and getting everyone ready for this next season. And I know it's been a whirlwind year, certainly been been well-documented, but when you look back, 10, 15, 20 years from now, what do you think you'll remember most about this first season being the head coach at Wichita State? Uh, just the fact that, you know, that I was the interim coach and uh, these kids could have easily, you know, opted out. You know, they came here to play for Hall of Fame coach. and Just those guys, you know, stood by my side, um, gave me everything we needed. You know, I had a bunch of high character guys that, you know, came every day. They practiced hard. They got better. You know, we had some adversity where we Lost a couple games early, but those guys stuck together. They didn't point fingers, and they were able to bring on a conference championship. So I just give it up to the players, you know, and the staff. They had great assistants around me, um, Coach Kennedy, um, Coach Cadino, Coach Tyson Waterman, um, you know, all of Nick Jones, all those guys did a tremendous job with scouting reports and, you know, staying on those guys and in individual instruction. And just the players, you know, those guys went out and made you know, some big plays on offense, defensively. Um, those guys came together and we were able to, you know, win a conference championship. And I'm just so excited about that. 
Taylor had a nice article on Coach Kennedy that was uh, posted today on Kansas.com, talked about him winning an award, and just what was it like having him on the staff, certainly been a mentor for you for a, a long time, and now going to be returning next season. It gave me a lot of confidence, you know, just having somebody on the sideline that had called a timeout. You know, Coach Kennedy, again, was my college coach. He was someone that mentored me in college. You know, I've been knowing him since 11th grade. I trusted him. I had never worked for him, but I watched him from afar. And when I was given this opportunity as interim, I needed somebody beside me that, you know, had head coaching experience. And he was one of the best out there in the business that was available. Um, hired Coach Kenny just gave me a lot of confidence. You know, he was in my ear when it came to game planning, um, scouting reports, um, on the floor coaching, recruiting, just everything, all phases of the game. And he's just somebody that, you know, I look up to just, you know, the things that he's been through in life and that guy just keeps battling. He never um, comes to work when, when he's, he's always happy. You know, he's just one of those guys, that's always a happy person, ready to go. Yeah, Coach, and, uh, you know, this was such a special season this last year. I know you guys went through so much adversity, uh, so much stuff off the court, on the court. Uh, just when, I know guys have kind of went their separate ways, a few of them after the season, but how special will that group be just – you know, the first team you coached, and you feel like you guys will always kind of have that bond together? Oh, without a doubt. It was a special group, you know. Um, you know, in that first meeting when I was given the interim job, I talked about, you know, the only way we can do anything special is all you guys stay together. And that was the first thing. I told them you had to trust myself and the coaching staff and just give us an opportunity to talk to you and your families and all those guys that were sitting down and meeting with those guys. They wanted to give it a chance. And those guys just got better every day. You know, we didn't start out as a championship team, but the work they put in, you know, on and off the court, you know, whether there was player development, scouting reports, um, you know, practicing hard, even though we had some setbacks early on with the COVID. Just so proud of what those guys were able to do, a team that was pick seven and to win our first conference um, championship in the American. I'll just remember that for the rest of my life, and they know they will too. A, a big topic in college basketball over these last few weeks has been how many uh, athletes have entered the transfer portal. Certainly, I've had a few uh, from your roster last season. Looking ahead, um, we do have our first commitment, 6'10", Matthew McFarland. But uh, just give us kind of an update on recruiting and, and uh, the type of players that you guys are currently looking for. You know, um, we're looking for high-character kids, guys who can win in the classroom, guys who can win on the basketball court and off the court as well in the community. But we're looking for athleticism. You know, I think that was one of the keys to us being successful this year. We had athletes that could guard multiple positions. Um, obviously, we got to try to become a better three-point shooting team. I think teams that win at a high level can really shoot it from the three-point line. So that's something we want to improve on. Um, we want to get more athletic at the center spot. You know, losing two front court guys, we got to get more length in there to help Morris Udeze out. But um, that's that's what we're trying to recruit, high-level guys that can defend at a high level. They have length and they can make threes, so that's what we need. And with recruiting, how much different is it where, you know, in years past, I know, uh, you know, you were one of the, the best recruiters on the staff, but now you go from, you know, recruiting these kids day-to-day, uh, -day, kind of, uh, you know, bringing them in where, you know, GM was the closer in years past. Now you're the closer. How much of a different role is that, you know, in recruiting? Is it is it much different, or uh, what's it like to be kind of the, you know, the, the final say on these things? You know what? I love being the closer because I, I, I can tell a player what they want to hear. 
You know, obviously, some 30 years ago, I was that guy that was sitting in the living room and all these college coaches came to recruit me, and I knew exactly what I wanted to hear from them. So I think it's an easy sell for me, you know, the fact that I played at a high level, um, the fact that, you know, we have this rich basketball tradition at this school, the fact that we have great atmosphere. Just the city of Wichita, I think it's an easy sell. So, you know, I love being a closer. Um, Tyson Waterman does a great job. He's one of the top recruiters in the country. You know, the last two or three years, um, I've been one of those guys that I went out to recruit, but I was here doing a lot of the on the floor coaching and development. Um, Coach Cadino, you know, he's a well-rounded guy. He's a guy that's been around that can recruit, develop players. And having Coach Kennedy, a guy that's, you know, won championships, a guy that's coached multiple pros, I think is an easy sell when we get kids on the phone. Yeah, and uh, I was I remember talking to uh, uh, Greg uh, in his last year about uh, just his change in kind of philosophy and recruiting where, uh, you know, you have to be kind of careful with uh, what you promise these kids. And he felt like that maybe was – kind of what you guys ran into problems with two years ago when, uh, when you guys had all those transfers where, you know, people had kind of different expectations for, you know, playing time, you know, how many shots they were going to get. How, how much of a, you know, a, a balancing act is it as a head coach where, you know, you don't want to promise these guys the world and then they, they get here and, you know, obviously they, um, maybe it doesn't line up with their expectations. Uh, uh, but I, I've, I've been hearing that, I mean, you've, you've been telling kids, I mean, you've been kind of keeping it real with them and, uh, you know, saying like, hey, you're going to have to come work for your spot. Just what, what what kind of a balancing act is that now recruiting these days, you know, just with what you promise kids and what you tell them? You know what? I I promise you, you got an opportunity to play at a great college. You know, the minutes will be earned. If you're playing great and you deserve 40 minutes, you'll get 40 minutes. You determine how much playing time you're going to get. So, again, when somebody – I don't really promise you minutes. I promise you an opportunity to play at a great university. And again, you earn those opportunities. If you're playing great, you're going to play 40 minutes. If you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you're not going to play 40 minutes. So a lot of that stuff is, you know, earned in practice. If you go out there and do exactly what you need to do, you're going to play the bulk of the minutes. So a lot of that is on the kids. Coach, one of the strengths of the program these last few years has always been the non-conference slate. You guys were never afraid to put together a, you know, a difficult non-conference schedule and, and go out and, and play programs from the Big 12 and the SEC and everywhere else. And so we were a little, you know, kind of lost out on that opportunity with the pandemic and all the changes this past year. But as you look forward, are there any programs that you uh, are working on or would like to see added to the non-conference slate? You know, the non-conference this year is really good. You know, we're going to play. Um, Kansas State, we're going to play at Missouri, we're going to play um, UNA, I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to play in the tournament out in Vegas uh, versus um, UNLV will be in the tournament, Arizona will be in the tournament, and Michigan will be in the tournament. And then we're also playing in the AAC SEC Challenge with a team to be named. So I think we got a great non-conference schedule. Obviously, we got to get four or five bye games here, and uh, we're working on that now. We've reached out to a lot of schools. You know, hopefully we can, you know, get teams on the, the non-conference schedule, like maybe R. Roberts or someone like that. But for the most part, we got a good non-conference schedule, and we need to have about four bye games. Yeah, and uh, just so I remember talking to you after uh, um, you got that contract, and uh, you said now the real pressure begins, you know, now that you're, you know, officially the one that, that follows Greg Marshall, you know, at Wichita State. Just talk about the, the kind of the shift and – uh, mentality, you know, you you guys were kind of not thinking about things, you know, when you're the intern and just kind of let it happen. But now that you know you got the five year contract, you know, you are the head coach moving forward. Now, 
Uh, what, what kind of pressure is there? And you, you set the bar pretty high, you know, this first year winning the conference championship. So uh, what, what has that been like for you personally now that have things started to kind of sink in that, that okay, this is, you know, this is it. I'm, I'm you know, the, the real head coach, you know, moving forward. You know, I just, you know, try to make sure I'm giving 110% every day with this player development, making sure kids are getting better, um, recruiting the right kids, you know, game planning, practice plan. And that's the pressure for me, just making sure I do those things. Obviously, we want to win basketball games. We want to try to do that at a high level because we've done that in the past. But um, we showed this year that we can, you know, pretty much play with anybody in the country. And we got, a, you know, the nucleus of our team coming back. So, you know, the sky's the limit for this team. I just think we just got to keep getting better. We got the right pieces in place. We just got to add a couple more pieces. And I'm looking forward to the challenge. Yeah, I know fans, they love, you know, they love Ron Baker. They love Fred Van Fleet. They love Landry Shamit. You know, those are the kind of the big three, you know, Clee Early, Richard, guys like that, you know, in the past have uh, won big at Wichita State. I know you have a great relationship with those players. So how much do you think that will help, you know, uh, not just with, you know, recruiting. I'm sure that will help, you know, kind of attract guys in recruiting, but also just, you know, having them around the program, for the current guys, I know that's been a big emphasis of yours, you know, wanting to get those guys back uh, just around the program. Just tell me a little bit about your relationship with those guys and how, uh, you know, even years later, I mean, you're still pretty close with those guys, right? Yeah, I think it's always good to be able to put, bring back your former players because those guys have a story, you know. All these young kids that come in, they got dreams and goals of going to the NBA, and they came here because they saw those players' success and they follow them in the NBA. So I think anytime you can bring those guys back to mentor your players, to play basketball with your players, to talk to your players, to watch um, those guys work out. Like when those guys come here in the summer and they get in the gym and work out, I think our players see the work that they put in and what they got to do to be successful. And not only as basketball players, just those kids are successful in life. So I think um, we got to make sure that we get those guys back. I try to call each and one of those guys, you know, I, I call those guys throughout the year. They're always watching. They're always following the program. And we're going to get some of those guys back. And a lot of those guys will be back with the um, TBT this summer and just so excited to, you know, be able to hopefully have that thing here at Charles Cogarink. When we had Coach Marshall on each year, we'd always try and just ask a few questions, you know, outside of basketball, get to know uh, him a little better. And so we'd love to do the same with you. You know, I know we're, we're still right in the thick of things as far as recruiting and everything. But once you, you get into the summer and have a little time to relax, you know, what are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do outside of basketball? You know what? Basketball is 24-7 for me. Majority of the time, I'm always, you know, trying to learn, always going back, watching video on other teams see what they're doing defensively, see what they're doing offensively, always working on, you know, player development stuff like different drills to get guys better. I would say stuff I do off the court in my spare time, you know, I'll probably go walk two or three, four, two, three miles a day in the summertime. And I enjoy fishing when I got free time, but that's not much. So it's really basketball for me outside of, you know, doing something like, you know, going walking, going fishing, that type of thing. Yeah, with uh, and I, I was I remember talking to um, Nick Jones, and he was telling me that you know in practices, uh, I mean you're you're still the same old IB, you know, as you were as an assistant. I mean, you stay after to you know rebound for guys, you know, you just do the little stuff that a lot of head coaches, you know, you're really involved in scouting, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that head coaches usually delegate or, or don't like to do. Uh, just tell me, like, when you got hired. 
I mean, it, the way it's been explained to me is that, you know, you just never change and it never really, you know, you never really thought of it as like anything that you shouldn't be doing. So just tell me about all those little things that you do. I mean, is that just stuff that you've always done or, uh, you know, as a head coach, did it ever occur to you like, hey, I can delegate that stuff or, or do you just like doing little details like that around the program? You know what? I enjoy doing that stuff, scouting reports. And um, when I was given the head job, you know, a lot of guys were saying, coach, give him this scout, or coach, do this, do that. But that was something I was used to doing. And I just felt like, you know, we, we're trying to win. So why not put that extra work in? But um, I enjoy, you know, doing scouting reports. Obviously, our guys do a great job. They're the main guys that do the scouting report. I may go back and watch four or five games on the team. I don't like watching highlight clips. I don't like anybody to chop the tape up and just give me the good. I like to watch the entire game. And I enjoy going out there, helping with the player development stuff. You know what I'm saying? Anytime you can get on the floor and teach guys little things, I think that helps them. And I think it helps those guys relax just being out there with the head coach. You know, I work with the big guys. Obviously, I worked with them the entire time I was here. So right now, me and Coach Kennedy, you know, we do the work with the big guys, Coach Cadino and Tyson. They work with the guards. But we all just try to, you know, give these kids everything we can give them and try to get better every day on and, bas- on and off the basketball court. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, you guys had a you know outstanding season, as we've talked about. Uh, but, you know, the last two games, I'm sure those are going to, you know, haunt uh, some of these guys. I mean, just the way uh, the the season ended, you know, one-point losses, both of those games, the offense, offense kind of uh, struggled. Just when you – have you do you go back and watch those games, or is that just, like, too hard to, to watch? Or w- what do you think, you know, looking back on it now, like uh, now that you guys gone through those experiences playing high-level games, what has to be better, you know, moving forward uh, when you guys – you know, obviously you guys hope to be back in those situations. So what has to be better, you know, down the road? You know what? I went, you know, after that Drake loss, it took me a while to even watch a college basketball game. It was three or four days there where I just couldn't even watch basketball. Um, But finally I got back. I watched the Drake game. You know, I felt like, you know, it was a game we had under control. Obviously, you know, watching both of those games, like I said, we got to improve. We got to become a better shooting team, you know, we got to learn from that game, um, you know, going 11 for 22 from the free throw line. Anytime in a one-point game, you got, you got to shoot better than 50% from the free throw line. Um, going back watching this Cincinnati game was the same thing. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't shoot well at the free throw line, so that's something we got to do a better job of this summer. You know, if that takes every guy staying at the practice, getting up 200 free throws at the practice, that's something we got to – um, get better at. And I think, you know, when you can show those guys, like, you know, this free throw line, this was the difference in the game. Now they see it and now they know that's what we got to improve on. We got to become a better three-point shooting team. I felt like in those two games, we didn't make wide open shots. Going back to the Drake game, we were three for 18. We didn't make shots. So obviously we got we got to get in the gym. We got to put in the work during the summer and obviously to be a better shooting team. And I just think those two games, we're going to learn from it. I keep talking about you learn from your experiences. So the fact that we were able to get to the NCAA tournament, yeah, we came up a little bit short, but I know these guys that we have coming back, it hurt, it stung them, and now they know what we got to work on. We're ever given that opportunity again, 
we're definitely going to learn from. Well, Coach, we know you're a busy guy. We appreciate you taking the time. Congrats on all the success this season. Look forward to, you know, uh, even elevating it further uh, during this next few years. And obviously look forward to having 10,506 strong back in Cocarina this fall. Yeah, thanks for you guys having me on. You guys do a great job. God bless and just take care, man. Our thanks again to Coach Brown for joining the show today. Certainly enjoyed the conversation with him. And Taylor, you can just tell, it, even in that you know, 15, 20-minute conversation, you know, it's a passion of his. Basketball is yeah. his life. You know, He came up with going on walks <laughs> and going fishing. But other than that, it's basketball 24-7. Yeah, yeah, that's not a lie, yeah, because I've, I've asked about this too because a lot of people have asked me like since he got hired, like, we want to know like uh, the man behind you know, the coaching and uh, you know, we want to know like about Ivy's personal life, and I was like, this guy just l- eats, sleeps, breathes basketball. I mean, there's not much else to it. I mean, he just he loves coaching, he loves learning about the game, he loves you know helping players get better and reach their goals. So it's not a facade. I mean, I've asked around, I've asked a bunch of different people, like what what's he? You know, I've I've seen him a couple times outside of basketball, but you know, nothing like uh, extensive and. Uh, I just asked people like, what's he like after, outside of basketball? And it's like we don't really see him outside of basketball. I mean, he's, I mean, obviously he, he likes to have a good time and you know relax. You know, when uh, there's a couple weeks every summer that you know uh, the team is off and you can kind of uh, relax and just kind of do your own thing. But you know, like you said, I mean, he he loves the game of basketball and the the things that stick out the most to me when talking to um, after he got hired was I kind of brought it up in that uh, uh, that question, but. You know, talking to guys like Nick Jones, who's like the player development coach, and, you know, Jeff Chapman, the video coordinator, uh, guys like that, I mean, they're doing a lot of, you know, the the grunt work and uh, a lot of the the behind-the-scenes stuff that's really, really important to teams, but, you know, doesn't get a lot of, uh, you know, uh, um, I guess, uh, uh, publicity. And IB loves to do that kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of head coaches uh, delegate. You know, Nick Jones, he's been on the K-State staff. He's been, I think, Hawaii as well. And he's like, I've never been around a head coach that wants to be this involved in scouting. And like uh, IB said, I mean, he doesn't want other people, you know, cutting up his film, uh, you know, doing it in highlights, doing it in clips. He wants to be the one that goes through every single clip and, uh, you know, determines if that's the one they're going to show the team or not. So not every head coach does that. That's very unusual, uh, very rare from uh, what I've uh, been told in the coaching world for the head coach to be that involved in scouting. And then also, I mean, just little stuff like, I mean, he stays after practice uh, to rebound for guys. I mean, that's stuff that usually trainers do or, you know, just managers. Um, and IB is out there rebounding for guys and you know tracking down rebounds and and passing them and trying to get them better uh you know in drills after practice and stuff like that just like stuff that you know head coaches would you know making millions of dollars you know usually they delegate that stuff and you know they're they kind of view themselves as above that but you know ib he's grinded for so long you know an assistant coach for 20 years he's just used to doing it at this point and that's the thing that everyone at WSU loves about him is that he he never he did not change once he got that head job. Uh, he is the same exact IB as he was, you know, the last six years in Wichita, and uh, that's what they love about him. You know, that's what the players love. That's what the people who work under him love. Uh, you know, he just stayed the same throughout, and I think that's a testament to just his character and uh, how humble and uh, how much he just loves the game, like we like you said. 
also really liked his answer when you asked about not promising too much to players, particularly in, in today's age where, you know, if you don't get the minutes you're looking for, you're, you're right out the door. And uh, he said it's really not about promising anything. You know, if you are good enough to play 40 minutes, you can play 40 minutes, but you got to come in and earn it and, and kind of develops that, uh, you know, personal accountability from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, and that that was kind of uh, along the lines of what uh, Greg Marshall said too. I remember talking to him after uh, last spring with all those transfers, and that's what he said too: is that you know uh, you can't really promise these kids anything. I mean, you gotta, and that's tough. You know, some of these, especially once WSU gets into these uh, bigger time prospects, um, you know, a lot of them want to hear those promises. A lot of them want to hear like, "Hey, you can come here and run the offense and shoot, you know, fifteen times a game and play thirty minutes a game and." Uh, yeah, I mean, WSU, I think they're going to get, you know, veer away from that. You know, they, they, they don't think that's a, a good strategy, a good way to get kids. Um, you know, they want kids that want to come in and work hard and earn their minutes. And, you know, maybe that, that takes them out of, uh, you know, a few recruiting battles for, for top, top kids. But, you know, I think they're more focused on finding the right fit and the right type of kid, uh, kind of like what IB said. So I think, uh, you know, um, you know, Tyson uh, um, Etienne, kind of a rare example of both, uh, both, you know, a high level guy who is, you know, a big time prospect. He also, you know, works extremely hard, very humble. Uh, I mean, he, he's just hungry to prove himself and, and, you know, earn those minutes. So those are the kind of players that WSU is wanting to get, you know, guys like Monzi Jackson, who's, you know, grinded his whole life for, you know, an opportunity and, uh, you know, you're going to see how much he wants it every time he steps on the floor because of how much it means to him. I mean, he wants to be great. And I think, uh, I mean, IB is going to be looking for players like that going forward. I love uh, Monzi on Twitter uh, about a week or so ago had a picture of himself and then a picture of Dennis Rodman. He's not <laughs> afraid to be the trash man going out there, working hard, getting the rebounds. And, you know, we've talked about it all show, but I think if you're a Shocker fan, you you got to be excited about what the future holds to hear, you know, how passionate the coach is, how, you know, hands-on he is with the program. You see a big percentage of minutes returning uh, this next season, even with uh, some transfers and, and, you know, still an opportunity to complete the roster. And, you know, Coach IB mentioned it. They're going to have a tough non-conference slate, but I'm just excited to kind of have a normal college basketball year and hopefully not the cancellations. Hopefully we're back 10,506 strong in, in Coke Arena and certainly can use that to their advantage in recruiting as well uh, with, with you know some of these new guys never even having to uh, had the opportunity to experience that just yet. So it's been a heck of a season, and for the last time until we're here with this you, you this summer, buy or sell time, producer Brian. All right, so we talked earlier about Wichita State's situation with having all those close games. They came out ahead on so many of them, but ending the season, having what seems like everything go just wrong enough to where they, they couldn't uh, couldn't get the victory. Do you think playing with fire all those times finally caught up with them where, where it finally bit them? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll buy that. I mean, we talked about it a little bit uh, coming into that tournament. You know, that was you know kind of bad habits of letting teams stick around. And, uh, you know, you look at the two losses, that's exactly what WSU did. You know, they, they had second-half leads, uh, you know, two, three-possession leads, a 12-point lead um, in the Drake game, and uh, could not close the door. And that was kind of their bugaboo all season. Uh, you know, they were able to win a lot more times than they, were, they lost, but... You know, in the end, it came back to bite them, and I think that's the biggest thing 
going forward is, you know, learning how to play with a lead and, you know, protect a lead and, and you know, put teams away. I think that's the, the biggest focus, uh, you know, going forward is uh, to start closing these games out and not letting them be, you know, two, three, four point games uh, in, the, in the final possession. I'll buy that as well. You know, we talked about all season long. It hurt their metrics with Ken Palm, and then you end up in a first four game. I think obviously their their uh, performance in the conference tournament led that to the, led to that as well. But uh, just need to be able to put teams away. And my hope is now that you've tasted success, you've had the regular season title, you've gotten to the NCAA tournament, that they come back even more hungry to obviously advance further next season. On that metrics thing, real quick too, I think that's pretty interesting. I was talking to one of the coaches, and they said. Uh, so they finished on Ken Palm. So they finished 332nd in defensive rebounding, which is, you know, just atrocious. And uh, they said that, I, I forgot who they talked to, but they, they talked to someone who kind of knows the formula. And they said if they would have just been an average team, um, which is not even asking that much because, you know, they've been a top 40 team in that, in that regard for years and years and years. But if they were just average, WSU's like overall Ken Palm would have been in the 40s. And, you know, that really defensive rebounding was holding them back, you know, almost 20 spots. I think they, f- they finished uh, 68 in Ken Palm. So that it just goes to show you just how one one little thing can, can really hold down your metrics too. Well, let's stick on that subject. We talked rebounding is going to be so key for this team going forward. Buy or sell Wichita State at a minimum finds themselves as a top 50% rebounding team next year. That's a big leap to make, although they made a big leap in the wrong direction this, this past year. So, I, w- I mean, without having the full roster, I think I would sell that for now. You know, Mo Udeze, you know, and, and I'll, you know, say I was not on his side at the beginning of the season, and he really turned me into a believer. But still, uh, you know, to only go from four rebounds averaging to five rebounds averaging per game, I think that needs to go up. Matt McFarland seems like that was a, a step in the right direction, and hopefully they get some additional uh, size in there. But I'll, I'll sell that. I'll, I'll buy it. I think, uh, um, like Dustin said, though, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a leap of faith because uh, you don't know the how the roster is going to fill out. But um, you know, who are the best rebounders on the team? You know, Monzi, Ricky Council, guys like that. They're going to be getting more minutes next season, so I think that's only a good thing. And then you throw in McFarland. Um, I think he's going to be an upgrade over what they had as the backup five. And, uh, you know, Mo, uh, you know, that's going to be a concern or an emphasis of his too uh, into this offseason because his rebounding numbers are, you know, just not good enough for a, a center in the uh, American Athletic Conference. So um, there, it's going to take a lot of work, but I think that it's going to be trending in the right direction just because, you know, Monzi and Ricky Council are going to see more minutes and those guys are uh, much better rebounders. So I think just... Uh, you know, it's going to take a big leap, but, you know, if you look at what WSU's done over, you know, the history of its program, you know, just asking them to be in the, in the top half of the country is not that high of a bar. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they, they rebound next year and, uh, you know, getting that, that top 170. Simple one, buy or sell Wichita State's back in the NCAA tournament next March. That's tough. I mean, I'll, I'll buy it. I, I think this team, uh, I mean, I talked last year coming into the year, I thought the this team was a you know NCAA tournament caliber team. The coaches thought they were they could get to March Madness, so wasn't really that much of a surprise internally. I mean, obviously there's a lot of factors that that happened, uh, you know, after after they they thought that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think with the core they have coming back, um, absolutely. I think uh, like I said, I think the American is going to get three teams in at least next year. So 
um, yeah, why not? I think WSU can can finish top three in the conference. And uh, like IB said, they're going to play a really good non-con. So I think they're going to be in that conversation, probably right in that 10, 11, 12. Uh, I mean, that bubble range again next year. I'm going to strongly buy that. Taylor was Ooh. a little hesitant on that buy. I'm going to strongly <laughs> buy part of the reason because, you know, you had the heartbreak and the loss to Drake and you, you have a good core of guys coming back. But the biggest thing they missed out this season was a lot of opportunities in the non-con to develop a resume outside of what they did in conference. And so with hopefully a full non-conference slate next year against some really good teams, as IB mentioned, I think they absolutely can put a resume together. All right, and finally, slight pivot. Wichita State baseball and softball, softball's having a historic season right now. Baseball gets a ranked win on the road against Arizona. They, you know, they're leading the the current ridiculous eight game series <laughs> against Houston that they got going on right now. But uh, just took three out of four against them over the weekend. So this is this is a combo. So buy or sell. Wichita State gets both baseball and softball back into the NCAA tournament. I'm going to sell that. Uh, baseball, I don't quite think is there, but they're certainly trending in the right direction. But uh, And softball, actually, you would know more about that than I do, but they really seem to be doing. Yeah, softball, they might, yeah. They uh, they got a big game coming up Wednesday night at uh, Wilkins Stadium against number one OU. So you know, if you're listening to this uh, Wednesday afternoon, yeah, go out and support the softball team because they are uh, very, very entertaining. You know, uh, they, they are just mashing home runs this year. They are shattering uh, every offensive record basically in their their history books and uh, you know they're only three home runs shy of the school record there's 23 games left uh, you know they're hitting home runs at the fourth highest rate in the country so uh, they got an ace in the circle they're they're a good defensive team and they hit a bunch of home runs so it's uh, what's not to like so um, I think they're they're definitely making a regional um, baseball yeah like Dustin said that's that's going to be that's the tricky one um, I, I think their pitching though is starting to come around, so I'm optimistic on them. Americans a very good conference, so I think if they finish, I think they, they finish, you know, third, fourth, they're going to be right in that conversation. So I'll buy that just to go different. Uh, uh, give you a little little difference there. Um, I think they sneak into a regional. By the way, my bracket was awesome compared to you guys. <laughs> so uh, you know, I do. I know that we got a lot of people that that signed up and joined that. So I at least thought that we should take a minute and give the shout-outs to the the top point-getter of our bracket challenge. So Jacob Scales with the most points at 1,180. So he he takes the top spot in our bracket challenge. I finished sixth. Not not bad. Not bad. Mm. No, you guys were not as good. but Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Big Ten. Yeah, I was going to say I had Illinois going deep and uh... – I was also in Vegas the first week into the tournament, and Illinois was part of my can't miss parlay that officially missed very early on in the day. Hundred <laughs> percent lock, locking in. <laughs> well, Taylor certainly, uh, you know, not quite as busy, but you got, you know, as we talked about baseball, softball, men's tennis, different things to cover, but uh, specifically related to men's basketball, what uh, what do you got, you know, the throughout the summer coming up at Kansas.com? Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, I mentioned that Shock Holiday website earlier, and um, yeah, I'm gonna take a look at. Um, their owner was uh, nice enough to give me access for a couple of days, uh, so I'm gonna like uh, Brian mentioned in our uh, questions. Um, you know, they they were so um, they had so many five point and less games, and you know, Ken Palm, one of the luckiest teams in the country. So I'm gonna take a look at based on the shock quality from this website. Um, 
how how lucky really was WSU? And uh, I think it'll be an interesting endeavor because you know some of these uh, some of the answers will surprise you. I'm going to take a look at which game was you know furthest away from the shot quality, uh, meaning. Uh, you know, it, I think the the Houston game, uh, the the game that they won at home, Houston was supposed to win that game like sixty eight percent of the time. WSU only was at thirty two percent win probability based on the shots taken. But obviously, they they win the game, so there's just stuff like that. There's a couple of games they lost where you know WSU uh, they took the better shots and they should have won the game. Uh, you know, just based on uh, shot quality. So. Um, interesting stuff like that. And then obviously recruiting is going to be a big deal, you know, five open slots. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of activity coming up this next two weeks. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's the only place to, to get uh, WSU recruiting news. Follow me on Twitter, uh, Taylor Eldridge and, uh, follow along on Kansas.com. I'll have all the recruiting stuff up there. I usually be able to get stories up, you know, as soon as they commit. So, um, I kind of get the heads up on, you know, what's, what's coming and, have stories ready to go. So, yeah, Kansas.com, the only place you can get uh, Wichita State recruiting news. Should be a lot coming up uh, over the next two weeks. Well, you truly do a fantastic job. We're, we're lucky to have you. We spoke to the Rotary Club of Wichita yesterday, and there was a ton of people came up afterwards and, and said they enjoyed your writing and, and coverage of the Shockers. And so we're we're blessed that uh, you go as in-depth and and are able to to crank everything out on top of high school sports and everything else. Yeah, yeah, I love. It. I'm I'm just like IB. I'm a, I'm a basketball, you know, twenty four seven. You know, most of the, the time, I love watching uh, just random clips on you know synergy and uh, just learning the, about the game, uh, learning how coaches view the game. That's gonna be kind of my mission this summer is to kind of pick the brains of uh, of coaches and and watch film with them and see how they kind of break down stuff. So I can kind of better understand what you know what they're trying to do on the court uh what, what's what's trying to you know what what the goal is uh, just uh you know obviously uh, as a fan you just kind of watch the ball and, and see where it goes but you know coaches they watch the game completely differently you know they're they're hardly watching the ball they're watching you know the off-ball screens and you know the movement and you know spacing and stuff like that so um yeah i mean i just love uh, learning about the game of basketball writing about it and um, yeah, it's been so much fun these last four years covering Wichita State basketball and, you know, the move to the American and, um, yeah, hopefully just, uh, keep it going and, uh, you know, I have a good relationship with, uh, IB and he was always one of the nicest assistants to me, you know, since I started the job. So really happy for him to, to get that head job and, uh, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And I think you just, the outpouring of support you've seen from former players tells you everything you need to know. And, uh, you know, Fred, guys like Fred Van Fleet and and Ron Baker, Landry Shamet, guys like that to be on board. Uh, you know, that, that tells you everything you need to know about IB the person. So now it's, you know, up to him to, you know, see what he can do as a head coach. I mean, he got the opportunity after, you know, two decades. So now it's his time to shine. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a, a fun and I'm sure adventurous uh, ride these next five years. Yeah, looking forward to seeing, you know, uh, I always say you're passing the baton and uh, from the next guy and hopefully coming in and uh, enhancing the program. And, and uh, certainly sky's the limit. We see a lot of Cinderella stories. Oral Roberts making a run in the NCAA tournament. We saw UCLA uh, and, and several others. And so it's just a, a crazy year of basketball. Our thanks as well to producer Brian uh, sitting here in the Forge Audio Production Studios. I always say he's the one that does the real work on the podcast. Taylor and I just show up and, and talking to the mic and and uh, Brian puts it all together has great sound quality he's the one posting it on the website and he's actually 
actually started the ICT Podcast Network. He's kind of turned this original Talk Angry podcast into more of a business. He has five shows uh, that he produces now. Obviously, the Talk Angry does the Chamber of Commerce show and several others. And he's got a website uh, that he's working on, ictpod.net, where you can go and uh, see links not only to our shows, but also the other shows that he's producing out of the Forge Podcast Co. So, as always, it's uh, been a fun season. This is the eighth season of Talk Angry. We'll, we'll be back uh, in the summer to talk about recruiting and the rounding out of the roster, get the non-conference schedule, and start looking ahead to that 2021-2022 season and season nine of Talk Angry. Almost a decade. A decade of dominance. A decade of dominance. The best podcast in the AAC, the best <laughs> podcast in the Midwest, best podcast in the dang country. We got the best beat writer over here. And, uh, best producer. I, I just show up to talk. Yeah, best producer too. <laughs> best host. We got the best everything. We're loaded. Well, thanks again for listening. As I mentioned, we'll be back this summer. And Taylor, what should our listeners do? Got to rate us five stars. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.